the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello everybody and welcome back to Truth and Justice. It was about six months ago, on the last weekend of February of this year, that I told you the story about a murder on September. The tragic tale of an innocent woman who was brutally murdered while going on her morning walk in Pleasant Grove, Texas. As you all know, this murder occurred on July 25, 1991. It's been just over 26 years since Kiao lost her life. Then three and a half years went by, until ultimately a man named Jesse Eldridge was arrested after his own brother Troy told police that he witnessed Jesse attacking Kiao. Then in January of 1996, four and a half years later, Jesse Eldridge was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. He quickly exhausted his appeals, and prison is where Jesse has resided ever since. For 21 years, over two decades, Jesse has been living behind bars for a crime that he did not commit. After over 20 years behind bars, Jesse had all but given up on any chance at real justice and any possibility of ever leaving that prison alive. But things changed for Jesse late last year when he got a letter from Ms. Ashley Hammer, a law student at Texas Tech University working in the Innocence Clinic with Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas. From there, Ashley and Allison and her entire team started to dig into Jesse's case and believed that they were looking at an innocent man behind bars. From there, Allison contacted us and asked me if we could employ the Truth and Justice Army to take a shot, after over 20 years, at setting Jesse Eldridge free. That was in December of 2016. Mike and I behind the scenes spent a couple of months researching Jesse's case, and in that last weekend of February this year, we launched episode 301 and began our mission to find the evidence that would prove Jesse Eldridge's innocence. The Truth and Justice Army engaged into Jesse's case like they have never done before. Listeners united to research documents, pour through trial transcripts, meet at the crime scene, and help put me in contact with witnesses. Not long had passed before the Dallas County Conviction Integrity Unit, working with Allison Clayton of the Innocence Project of Texas, also took on Jesse's case. And that leads us to where we stand today. Next week will be the final episode of Season 3 of Truth and Justice. In the season finale, you're going to hear from Jesse and his wife Patricia. But this week is all about you, the listeners, the people who have participated and engaged and worked to get to where we're at today. Today is about answering your questions. The biggest question that everyone has is where does Jesse's case stand today and where are we going in the future? And to answer that question, 
We are joined today by Jesse's attorney with the Innocence Project of Texas, Ms. Allison Clayton. Today's episode is sponsored by Hubble. Are you tired of overpaying for uncomfortable contact lenses? And do you overwear your contacts to save money? If you answered yes to either of those questions, Hubble Contacts is the solution for you. That describes me exactly. I used to overwear contacts all the time because they're so expensive. But now I've been wearing Hubble Contacts for about six weeks. And what's the major difference between the contacts you used to wear and Hubble? They're quality daily lenses, which means no containers, no solution. You just throw them out at the end of the day. And they're half the price of other contact lenses. That's exactly right. What if I told you that you can get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for less? 60 contacts for $30. Do the math. That's a dollar a day. And that is half the price of other brands. Plus, you can go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks for free. Like Mike said, they're quality daily lenses. They're half the price of the other guys. No containers, no solution. You put a brand new pair in in the morning and then you throw them out at night. Besides being great contacts, low maintenance, and a great price, Hubble has a great model to keep those prices low because they sell directly to you, no middleman, so they can offer those contacts for half the price of the other guys. And they can send you to an optometrist if you don't have a prescription today. No more overpaying and no more overwearing. Hubble has been featured in Vogue, GQ, TechCrunch, and Mashable. So if you're somebody who wears contacts, you've got nothing to lose here. Spend less money with a lot less hassle. All you have to do is go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's 15 pairs of lenses for free. You really can't beat this deal. Hubble is offering my listeners two weeks of free contacts. So go to HubbleContacts.com and get 2020 vision for half the price. That's Hubble, H-U-B-B-L-E, Contacts.com. Hey, Allison, how are you doing today? Fine, thanks. How are you? Good. And I'm, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of your time with a whole bunch of pleasantries because I know that you are super duper busy working lots of cases all at the same time. But we wanted to bring you on the show today. And first of all, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And so I, I want to get right into uh, the big question everybody has. We haven't heard from you much during the season. And this season with the Jesse Eldridge Kiago case has been very different than previous seasons in the fact that the Conviction Integrity Unit has been on board since almost the very beginning. And with that being said, we've been kind of limited on what we can say and what we can't say. We had to run a lot of things by you. And you've also been limited on what you can share with me because of that. That's right. When you're working with a CIU, it is a completely different experience than when you're working with a, a more adversarial type of district attorney's office. Because with a CIU, they, they share so much about the case. I mean, working with the Dallas County CIU has been a wonderful experience because they shared everything they had. It's not like we're on the same team necessarily, but we have the same objective. I hope I'm, I'm not speaking out of term when I say I, I feel like the CIU's objective is to find the truth, just like our objective is to find the truth. I think I know the truth, which is that Jesse is innocent, and I think the CIU is interested in, in hearing us out and exploring whether 
that is indeed the truth. So they've opened up their files to us. They have been cooperative with us, and they have been really a dream to work with. But the thing is, is whenever you have a district attorney's office just opening up everything they have to you, that comes with a much higher requirement of confidentiality. No longer am I, you know, just another member of the public almost. In other counties, a lot of the information I'll get is the same kind of information that a normal member of the public would get. I don't get afforded any kind of extra deference from the district attorney's office just because I'm some kind of an attorney who's trying to overturn a conviction in their county. But because I get that extra deference, I have an extra duty to keep what I learn confidential. So it's been different in that I know quite a bit about the case that I have found out because the district attorney's office opened up all of their files to me. And because it was done under those terms, I'm not able to talk about a lot of the stuff that I've learned. And it kills me because we've learned some incredible facts and we've had some of the most mind-blowing revelations. And I want to tell the audience about them. I want to tell Jesse's supporters about these things. But, you know, everything will come out in, in due time. This is just the way things have to work. Uh, but you'll find out about everything that I know. Eventually, you'll, you'll find out about it. But it will be in cooperation and with the approval of the Dallas County CIU. Working with the CIU has been a great thing for Jesse's case. And just for the audience, it may not have been the best for all of you. because you and, and me, too, by the way, to make clear, I'm included with all of you as far as I don't know what Allison's talking about when it comes to a lot of the information that she because she can't even share a lot of the stuff with me. Uh, so you know, I'm excited to hear what's happening. And I know I the, the overall tone that I get, Allison, when, when we speak about the case is that you're feeling pretty darn confident about where we're going moving forward. Is, would you say that's accurate? Yes, I feel very confident about the strengths of Jesse's case. Right. And that's with the information that we found through the podcast and then all this stuff that we don't know about uh, that will be revealed soon. And that's also part of the reason why uh, this season three has been so much shorter. You know, you know, Ed's case was 55 episodes long. And in this case, we're, you know, we're in the 20s. We're at episode 27 right now of Jesse's case. And that's because it's just, I, I know we're at a point where if we go any further, we're going to start stepping on the toes of the CIU. They have their own investigators. They're interviewing people. We know there's stuff coming out that can't be shared. So, and, and that's why we've decided that um, collectively, and this was a discussion that I had with Allison and of, of course with Mike as the producer and everything, as far as when is it going to be time to pull the plug on season three and We've decided that now's the time because I, I, like I said, and like Allison just confirmed, I can, I can hear in Allison's voice when we talk that she has a lot of confidence about this case. And so moving forward from there, can we kind of break down, Allison, the elements that you are allowed to talk about that attack the, because, you know, when you talk about the objective of the Conviction Integrity Unit, you know, I, I kind of look at their objective as being, like you said, to find the truth and to literally do what their name says and to determine if there was integrity behind this conviction, if Jesse Eldridge received a fair trial. And, and we, there's been a lot of different points. So it, could you break down legally what we have so far as far as maybe, maybe anything that we found on the podcast and anything that you can talk about that you have dealt with the CIU directly as far as testing or anything like that? Uh, and just kind of break down where you kind of see Jesse's case to have his conviction overturned. 
Well, now, you know, there's a lot of this that I can't tell you about. So, I mean, you guys are unfortunately, I mean, maybe getting half the picture. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, it's different when you have the cooperation of a government agency. Because like with Ed's case, all of the investigation, everything you've had to do and we've had to do, and it's not like we were going to step on anyone's toes because we were the only ones who were going to do it. But right. in Dallas County, it's a whole different thing. We don't want to step on those toes because, but that's the difference. You know, people from the, from the DA's office are actively, hopefully investigating the case and we don't want to do anything with them. To answer your question, there are a few things that, that you guys know about that I can tell you are the legal strength about those things. The first thing, obviously, has been the thing that's gotten my attention from the very beginning. And that is the testimony from Tammy. Tammy very clearly alibis Jesse. Uh, this is something that, that everybody knows, and she's always stuck to her story on this, and I believe her. So what that means from the legal implication is, you know, what we do is we file habeas corpus petitions. Habeas corpus petitions have to be based upon some kind of constitutional violation. So any kind of error has to be linked back to a constitutional right. When it comes to alibi witnesses, the most common kind of argument is whether or not the defense attorney presented the alibi witness. So you have to look at what exactly the defense attorney did. There are certain requirements that he has to meet in order to be constitutionally effective. Because if he, if he doesn't do his job, then that implicates Jesse's Sixth Amendment right to an attorney, right? That's something that we mm-hmm. can raise in habeas because it implicates a constitutional right. And as much as Tammy's concerned, we have a potential ineffective assistance of counsel claim for the defense attorney's failure to contact an alibi witness. Then we have another constitutional ground that is very common in habeas petitions, apart from the effective assistance of counsel guaranteed under the Sixth Amendment, is also the right to potentially exculpatory information. The prosecutor has some kind of right, and you guys know this, if the prosecutor has some kind of information, then he or she has the duty to disclose that information, and failure to do so implicates a person's constitutional rights, and that's the Brady case. I know you've talked about it before. That's when you hear a Brady violation. That case is based upon constitutional law. So in this case, we have a potential Brady issue, and that's an issue that that you found that I didn't even find. That was the Crime Stoppers tip that came in to the DPD that you discovered in, in your open records request. You know, that was not, I filed an open records request with the Dallas Police Department, and they gave me maybe 30 pages of information and documents that, frankly, I already had, and they didn't help out really at all. But whenever you did your open records request, for whatever reason, they gave you a ton of information that I didn't have. And included in that information was the Crime Stoppers tip that you've talked about on the show before. And you've identified that as Brady. I think you might be right right in concluding that that was Brady. Although, you know, I don't know. We'll have to do a little bit more legal development of the issue. But I think that whenever you handed it to me, I thought it was Brady. And I was just shocked that that was something that I hadn't gotten, that you had gotten. Yeah, and the frustrating part about that is that you and I had filed almost identical open records requests with the Dallas Police Department. And so the the selectivity as far as what got sent to me and what got sent to you, I guess it's a it's a good way, I guess, to look at a department's policies and filling requests like that when you have identical requests from two people that communicate because we were able to compare the two. But yeah, that one, you know, for me, that seemed like it, it seems like it could be material and exculpatory. And it certainly looks like it was withheld from the defense because, like you said, you had never seen that before. 
And like you said, you have access to all the DA's files. So if the DA didn't have it, then likely defense didn't have it. So, you know, that's certainly one that we're, we're hoping that is going to make a difference. And I wanted to ask you, what about Shauna? Cause you know, my presentation of Shauna has been, she's almost like a double edged sword as far as her being an alibi witness because she gave this statement to Watts that completely conflicts with Troy Eldridge's statement and really actually alibis Jesse. And then she was never called to trial. Now, she told me in my interview that she was contacted by the prosecution who had put her on the witness list, but she was never contacted by the defense. So it seemed to me from from our layman perspective that either those documents were turned over th- to the defense, in which case it could have an argument for ineffective assistance of counsel for not calling her, or they weren't turned over to the defense, at which point it would be Brady. Uh, and then, of course, we had her, her statement, her newer statement that she gave me that no one had heard before that Troy Eldridge had told her that he lied because he was mad about what happened with her and Jesse. But do you see Shauna coming into Jesse's case at some point? Shauna's statement about what Troy told her is difficult to legally classify because that statement that Troy made to her came out after, like long after the trial. Right. So there's not any kind of Brady implication. There's not any kind of ineffective assistance of counsel implication. And the statement itself is kind of weak in that, according to Shauna, as soon as Troy said that, he took it back. We could perhaps raise it under like an actual innocence, a freestanding ground of actual innocence, but then you still have the problem of it's not that strong of a statement because he took it back as soon as he said it. So that to me is the most compelling aspect of what Shauna has to say. And, it, and personally, it's quite compelling. But from a legal aspect, I don't know that Shauna can play that strong of a role in Troy's case, especially when we have other things, other evidence that we already have and that we're currently developing. Right. And that's the issue with habeas petitions is that, like you said, it's all about the constitutionality of the trial itself. So a statement made after the trial, I was wondering about that. Like, how does that even come in or could it come in? I mean, I suppose it could come in if there was a new trial. It could. So everything does have to have some kind of link back to a constitutional right. And Shauna's link back would be just to the due process right to not be wrongly convicted. And it's not that strong, like I said before. I don't think it's the strongest evidence that we have. But at some point in time, however, there just starts to be such an amount of evidence that indicates a person is actually innocent. But even just the sheer fact of yet still another piece of evidence indicating that this man is actually innocent can still help. It's like every little every little bit helps. And so I don't mean to discount what Shauna has to say. It's important. And, you know, I'm very grateful that she came forward to you and made those statements. And, you know, they may end up playing a, a, a big role. But even if they don't play a huge role, you know, every single thing that we have that is just adding on to this narrative of this man who was wrongly convicted, every single thing helps. Yeah, and that was going to be kind of my next question is, at some point, it looks like we're just in a few things that I'm sure you're you're about to share that we talked about just before recording today. When you throw in this giant pile of little things, at some point, something's got to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. All they're trying to figure out at the CIU was, was this a fair trial? And I would hope that they could look at and say, look, here's 25 things that went wrong with this trial. That the fact that even if, you know, numbers 19 through 25 aren't the strongest pieces of evidence in the world, but the fact that there are number 19 through 25 on top of the other 18, 
have to make some kind of impact, I would hope. That's the idea. Exactly correct. So now moving forward, let's talk about where Jesse's case is right now. And I know, like you said, you told me before we recorded that even to me, there's things that you can't share. But as far as if you can explain what's happening right now, as far as what you are allowed to talk about. Sure. So we have Tammy's statement, which is really going to be a centerpiece in the habeas petition, no matter what. And we have, um, you know, some potential Brady violations, the one that you found, and then some others I think we may have discovered. In addition to that, you know, the problem in these cases is people want to know if Jesse did not do this, then who really did do it? And it's not necessarily our job to find out who did it. You know, my, my dedication is to Jesse because I know Jesse was wrongly convicted. But at the same time, it's important that we know. At least we do our absolute best to figure out who the real perpetrator was. If it wasn't Jesse's, then who was it? So to that end, that two-pronged objective of both proving Jesse's innocence and hopefully finding out who really was involved, we have sent out items to a private lab for DNA testing in Jesse's case. That DNA testing is going on right now, and we are expecting the results any day now. This DNA testing has been going on. Like, did I hear you right that you said that you're expecting results from these DNA tests now, like any time now? That's correct. A large part of, of my summer on Jesse's case was spent in tracking down various items of evidence for DNA testing. And just that process alone took a while. It took a while to find the things that I think really need to be tested. And there were a lot of setbacks. A lot of instances where I thought maybe there just wasn't, what I was looking for wasn't there anymore. But eventually, I was able to find the things that, that we needed to have tested. And I say I, that was with the help of the Conviction Integrity Unit. We were able to run down and locate items of evidence and then get them sent out for testing. Can you talk about what those items are? Well, I can tell you a little bit okay. about what's being tested. I don't want to spill the beans in case there is you know, favorable results out there because, you know, I have to think long-term about what our strategy is going to be for the real perpetrator, assuming we get good DNA test results. And by good, I mean assuming that there's a solid profiles that we're able to develop from the DNA testing. So to kind of to summarize what you're saying there is, if the DNA tests set Jesse free and, and they're pointing towards someone else, we don't want to, or you don't want to completely lay out your entire case when there could actually be someone else that we're going after or that the police are going to go after in a new trial. Uh, so you've got to keep some of that close to the chest. Is that, did I understand that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. One specific question that I want to ask you is because it's one item that I think that we all know was in evidence because it was used at trial. Has there been any DNA testing done on the knife that was found at the crime scene? Yes. The knife is one of the items that is currently being tested for DNA evidence. Wow, that's amazing. That was that was the one that I was hoping for the most and very likely has hopefully the killer or killer's DNA on it. And, and now the DNA testing methods that are being done now, you know, originally that knife, it said there was blood on the knife, but it was not in quantities enough to be tested for DNA. But with the new methods, are they are they are they testing for touch DNA? Are they testing for blood? What are they testing for on the knife? Both uh, blood DNA and touch DNA. Excellent. And so hopefully we'll have some results that we'll be able... Well, I'm sure 
I guess let me ask you this. If the results come in next week and you have a solid answer as to what's on the knife, do you think you'd be able to talk about it then or would that have to be kept back until something happens in court? I think it depends on what the results show. If the results show that there's there's no DNA that, that's able to be tested, then you know maybe I can come on and say, I'm sorry, but there's there's just no DNA to be tested. If the results come back of, you know, Jesse is completely excluded as a contributor, there's some split on there, but it is not Kiao's and it's not Jesse's, then, you know, if it's okay with the CIUs, then I would be happy to shout it from the rooftops that Jesse, you know, is pretty conclusively excluded from that. And if we're able to take it a step further and develop a profile as to whose blood that is that's on there, I doubt that you would know about that. I doubt that I would, would say anything about that. Okay, that sounds fair enough. And so I guess I'll ask you two questions that I think I already know the answer to. Question number one, are there other items besides the knife that are being tested for DNA? Yes, there are other items in addition to the knife that are being tested for DNA. And question number two, can you tell me what any of those items are? No. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess for everybody that's just been following this case so intently uh, over the last seven months and has just thrown so much support behind Jesse and his wife Patricia and Nicole and, and everyone involved, it's very meaningful for myself and all of us to have you come on and, and at least update us on, you know, because again, with this case, you know, not, not only do I not get a lot of information, but even the information I have with the CIU's involvement, I've been trying to be very, very careful about what I say and what I don't say because I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to upset anybody. You know, this is our, our, our second go round, Allison, you and I with taking on these cases and we'll announce here in a few minutes that it's not going to be the last. But this one was a little trickier than the first one because the first one was so adversarial with the DA's office. We were just putting out whatever we had. Yeah, it's different whenever we have to care about what other people are thinking. You know, whenever it's whenever it's just us doing our investigation, you know, just throw caution to the wind and do what you do. But you know, when we have the CIU involved, it kind of just really puts a damper on our communications, which is a dream from my perspective as, a, as Jesse's attorney. To have a CIU involved in everything just goes so much faster. But at the same time, it's been a lot more difficult. I mean, the communications between us have been very, very limited on this case. And it's frustrating for me because I'm just dying to tell you guys everything that, that we've discovered and everything that's going on. And I know it's frustrating for you because you don't want to step on toes. And so you've curtailed your movement a lot more than you normally would have. But I really appreciate all of the work that you and your listeners have put on the case. As usual, it is incredible. And, you know, just the, the change in Jesse alone has been amazing to watch. And that's, that's because of you and your listeners. And, you know, it hasn't been all for naught because y'all have gotten some incredible evidence that I anticipate using in Jesse's case that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten without your involvement. So as usual, you guys are incredible and just all around amazing people. And I cannot thank you enough for all of the help that you've given us in this case. Well, it has been, as always, a pleasure working with you in the Innocence Project of Texas in general. Uh, before we end this today, Allison, I want to talk to you real quickly about where a lot of my listeners were wondering where they can donate to help with a lot of this testing. Because this testing, listeners, is expensive, and it's not just Jesse, and it's not just Edward Eights. It's lots of cases that the Innocence Project of Texas is working on. 
So before we conclude, Allison, I want to have you let the listeners know where they can donate if they want to help with some of that testing. But before we get to that, I wanted to mention for everyone, a couple of weeks ago, we announced that we were going to be wrapping this case up and we were going to be starting another case that is a pretty well-known case. And then last week, I had told the listeners that that may get pushed back. We may be doing kind of a mini season on another case or two. And we have now decided that's exactly what's going to happen next. And the reason for that was because Allison and the executive director of the Innocence Project of Texas, Michael Ware, came to us with another case that they would like us to take a crack at. And Allison, do you want to just kind of briefly explain what we're going to be doing now? And well, I guess we'll be calling it season four, but it'll be a shorter season. Tell us just briefly a little bit about the case that we're about to get into. Absolutely. So the next case that we've asked for your help with is the case of George Powell. George Powell is a man who I believe has been wrongly convicted of aggravated robbery here in Texas. George was found guilty based upon what I believe was faulty eyewitness identification and based upon junk science. I'll tell you why I believe George has such a strong case. George was implicated in a string of armed robberies. And at all of those locations, the people who were robbed described the assailant as a man who was around five foot six or five foot seven tall. George Powell is six foot three, and he has consistently, persistently maintained his innocence ever since his 2008 conviction. In my opinion, the strongest evidence that was used against George at trial was the evidence of a man saying that he was a photogrammetry expert. In other words, someone who analyzed the video footage of the robbery and then testified that the robber had to have been at least six foot one, which is a statement totally contradicting all of the eyewitness testimony. In addition to that, very strong evidence, we also had the evidence of a jailhouse informant who has since recanted his original statements. So the Powell case is a fascinating case. There is not any kind of conviction integrity unit involved. In fact, I can tell you it's been a pretty adversarial case. So we're really looking forward to your involvement, to any kind of insights that your listeners may have, any kind of help that anyone is able to offer, because we believe a man was wrongly convicted of a string of armed robberies and that the real perpetrator has never been located. And we're looking forward to seeing what you and your army of listeners can do in this case. Yeah, we actually made the decision just yesterday to go ahead and push back what was going to be our season four in order to take this case. After I've got two pages of notes from a conference call uh, with Allison and Mike, and this case is incredibly interesting. It was an awful, horrible injustice. And I think that we can make a difference. And after kind of having to sit on the sidelines a little bit with the CIU involved in this last case. Uh, I was really looking forward to this one after talking with Mike when, uh, you know, I think I think his words were, let's go get him. So this case will be a little bit more my style as far as how we're going to tackle this thing. So we're really looking forward to getting into that case. And of course, we love working with the Innocence Project of Texas. They've just done some amazing things uh, with all the cases we've worked and many others. And so, Allison, really quick before I let you off the phone. Can you tell listeners, kind of give them a breakdown of what some of the DNA costs are and then let the listeners know where they could donate if they want to help? Absolutely. So the evidence that we deal with in our cases is usually very old evidence. And there were some cases that occurred before DNA testing was even a thing. So they weren't even necessarily stored properly. 
as a result, what we usually have to do is do something called quant testing, which is kind of a first-level test to see if there's even any DNA evidence present for us to be able to test. And after we do quant testing, then we can go ahead and do the DNA testing. And DNA testing is not like there's just one test that you run everything through. There are a variety of different tests that you can run on different kinds of evidence for different purposes. But no matter what, it all costs a lot of money. So like quant testing is several hundred dollars for each item that you're going to have tested. So for example, say you have a piece of evidence that may have various kinds of DNA on it. It may have blood DNA, it may have semen DNA, it may have touch DNA. Those are all three different kinds of tests, even though it's on that one item. So it's going to be, in some instances, kind of depending on the lab, as an additional cost for each one of those tests that you want to run. So the quant testing is several hundred dollars. Add on top of that the several thousand dollars that each one of those DNA tests is going to cost. And you can see that the expenses add up very, very quickly. So in one case alone, you're looking at several thousands of dollars just in DNA testing. The Innocence Project of Texas is a nonprofit organization, which means that it's not like we're getting a whole lot of money from, you know, we're not making money from our clients. If our clients are exonerated and they later on get any kind of monetary reward, we don't get that money. That's their money. That's not ours. So we rely heavily upon the donation of just normal everyday people who want to make a difference and upon the donations of time from people who have some area of expertise. And I know your listeners, that's their main way that they donate is with their time. But if they have any kind of extra money, just, I mean, $5, $10 would be incredibly helpful in covering the very expensive costs that we have to cover, not just in Jesse's case, but in the many, many cases that we are currently investigating. So those costs that we're talking about, the DNA testing of getting experts to come in and evaluate a case, those are costs that are present, not just in Jesse's case, not just in Ed's case, but in the many, many cases we are actively investigating and then we are actively getting DNA testing in. And those costs add up so quickly that we really can use all the help that we can get. And to be clear, Allison, there there are times when you guys just literally can't do all of the testing you want to do because, I mean, you have to go through the board to get that approved and one of the items that are on the table have to be cost, right? That's right. And it is heartbreaking in a way when you you think about not being able to present your strongest case possible because you just can't afford to do that. Fortunately with me and, and with, with Mike, he has been generous enough and we have had very generous donors that honestly that hasn't really happened with me yet. There hasn't been a time where Mike has said, no, we cannot afford to do this. But that's because we've had a good deal of donations with the San Antonio 4 case. But that money is is not an endless source. And I, I cringe to think of the day that that money supply runs out uh, because we just kept on getting these tests done. So the big question is, where can listeners go to donate? Is there a way to do it online or do they have to mail in a check? Uh, well, both would be fine. If you want more information, I would direct your listeners to IP, so that's short for Innocence Project, ipoftexas.org. And that of Texas is spelled out. So it's I-P-O-F-T-E-X-A-S 
org. And anything that, that they may have to give would be incredibly helpful. If it's just $5, we would be appreciative of just that. Okay, and so let me speak to the listeners just for a moment. Um, this obviously is near and dear to my heart, and this is something that, that really makes a huge difference. So what I would like to offer is when you make your donation, put in the memo or put some kind of a note in there um, that this is you know from the Truth and Justice Army. And Allison, I'm sure you can arrange this for me to get with whoever handles that stuff. But NBI Studios is going to match whatever up to the first $1,000, everything that the listeners donate, we're going to match that up to $1,000 here from the out of the studio budget uh, to help with all this DNA testing. Again, not with just uh, Jesse and Ed's case, but in many cases going forward. So please go to ipoftexas.org. You can donate right there through the website. Put in the notes that it's for the Truth and Justice Army, uh, and they will get with us, and and we're going to donate a thousand bucks too here, right from the studio. And I have no doubt that we'll we will far exceed that amount from the listeners, uh, because this is this is a, a donation that's going to go directly to the core of what we're trying to accomplish. And with that being said, Allison, I know that you're super busy and you have a whole lot of stuff to get done on all of our cases and many others. So I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for all the hard work you've done on, on Jesse's case and and Ed's case. And it's been awesome working with you on this whole season. And I can't wait to get going on our next one now. Thank you. I am very excited about what the future holds with this next case. I cannot thank you and the Truth and Justice Army for the incredible amount of help and support that you've shown, not only to the Innocence Project of Texas, but just to the cause of getting those who've been wrongly convicted exonerated. It's incredible, and I cannot thank you and your listeners enough. This season of Truth and Justice has really shown me how powerful our crowdsourcing model can be. And as you heard, it's also shown the Innocence Project of Texas how powerful our crowdsourcing model can be. It's incredible to think that just a few years ago, no one had ever heard of any of us, and the Truth and Justice Army wasn't even a thing. And now we have Innocence organizations like IPTX asking us to help with their cases, because I really feel like any case that we take on, that we'll be able to make a real difference. Hundreds of thousands of people working for the greater good has proven to be a force to be reckoned with. Now, as I mentioned during my conversation with Allison, the George Powell case is going to be a little bit different of a case for us. George is well into his habeas pleadings right now, and what IPTX is asking for us is more about exposure and trying to reach out and find out if there are any witnesses in this case that might be able to bring the truth to light. It will be a six-episode mini-season that's going to begin in two weeks. George Powell's case will be Season 4, and then we'll be immediately launching into Season 5. That investigation is already underway and has been for several weeks. But before we move on to Season 4 and Season 5, we're not quite done with Season 3 just yet. Jesse Eldridge's life has been changed drastically by all of your involvement, and he has asked me that before we end this season, to please give him the opportunity to dress all of you the listeners, directly. And that's what we have in store for next week, the season finale of Season 3 of Truth and Justice.
Before I end this episode today, I want to again make a plead with all of you to take just a couple of minutes and a couple of dollars and make a donation to the Innocence Project of Texas. The DNA testing in Jesse's case costs thousands of dollars. and The DNA testing for Ed's case costs just as much. And these are just two cases of many. Allison and the entire team at the Innocence Project of Texas have seen what the Truth and Justice Army can do when we decide to investigate a case. Well, let's show them what we can do when hundreds of thousands of people come together to raise the money that could have a direct effect at setting many, many people free. So one more time to donate to the Innocence Project of Texas, go to ipoftexas.org. That's IP like Innocence Project of Texas.org. Click the donate button. It's a very simple process. And in the comments section, I want you to type hashtag Truth and Justice Army. And I know that I said I would be matching up to a $1,000 donation from NBI Studios, but I don't have any question in my mind that we're going to hit that goal and far exceed it. So I will be getting the ball rolling with the first donation from NBI Studios for $1,000 today. And I have no doubt that with all of your support, we will multiply that number many times over and help the Innocence Project of Texas set many, many people free. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com. I want to thank Chris Brinkley of SylviaConsultants.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to our transcription team, Britta Bliss, Stephanie McConnell, Tammy Kenimer, and Sarah Mueller. And also thank you to Desiree Dunn for printing off the transcripts and mailing them off to Jesse. Thank you to Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. And thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support throughout this season. You're all going to hear next week what a massive impact it has had on Jesse Eldridge's life. Keep in touch by sending us emails to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can call in voicemails to 269-224-2833 and like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.